In the talk this evening, I'd like to reflect upon two very specific, seemingly very different qualities. One is the quality of faith, and the other is the quality of fear. Now, though these qualities and the experience of them are felt very, very differently in our lives, There are ways in which these qualities are also related to each other. To take this quality, this word faith, it's a quality, a word that evokes so many different responses in different people. I mean, if you've come from a very religious background, you know, if you grew up with a very religious upbringing, It's very possible that you've seen both the light and the very dark side of faith that can occur. The way sometimes that faith can seemingly have the potential to illuminate some people and illuminate their lives. And the dark side, where faith has been used in a coercive, blind, manipulative guilt-producing way. If you come from a background, both inwardly and outwardly, which is really values, reason, logic, linear thinking, control, then the word faith for you may seem like an entirely irrelevant concept. It's often true that when we reflect upon the word faith for ourselves and what it actually means for ourselves, that we often think of faith being concerned with something or something outside of ourselves, around a person or a deity or a figure or a system, with whatever resistances or attractions that might have for us. And it's a whole nother leap to reflect upon faith in a way of how much faith do we have in ourselves? What does that mean in the context of our own being? How much faith do we have in our capacity to awaken, in our capacities for compassion, for understanding, How much faith do we have in our capacities for intimacy, for openness, for sensitivity? Because clearly when we come into meditation, and there is an element, clearly an element both of mystery and unpredictability in this path. You know, it's not a linear path that you do this practice, you get this result, there's all these particular guarantees returns, etc. And much of it relies on the quality of faith that we have and that we develop in our own being. Now these two qualities of faith and fear, we meet them in our lives, we meet them in our meditation. They have very different effects upon us 
whether they are in our life or in our meditation. It seems that faith is a quality of heart, of being, that really somehow enables our capacity to open, to trust, to love. If we look at those moments in our lives when we feel fearful, we see that fear really has a very different effect on us. That its effect on us is one of making us want to close down, to avoid, to control, to distance ourselves from whatever it is that we fear, whether it is something in the external world or whether it is something within ourselves. We become more suspicious, mistrustful. I think faith is also a quality that holds within it aspects of courage and the willingness actually to take risks, to risk the unpredictable, to risk the unknown. Whereas again, the effect of fear is often one often has upon us the effect of really wanting to be safe. You know, when we feel fearful, it seems like the most cherished thing for us in that moment is actually we want to be safe. We, we want to, or we, we see unpredictability even as an enemy. Faith in its opening power, I think, also allows us both to travel this path and to live our lives in a way in which we don't demand so many guarantees or so much proof or so much evidence, you know, that we're getting better, we're doing well, we're going somewhere, we're making progress, we're succeeding. All those words, which are actually pretty important words in our culture. Whereas we can see that the effect of fear in our lives is actually really to want all those things. You know, when we are fearful, when we feel anxious, you know, we feel reassured by evidence, we feel reassured by proof, we feel reassured when we have signs that we're somehow being successful, getting somewhere, etc. I think faith also in its opening quality actually finds within it the strength and the balance to see painful situations in our lives and difficult situations in our lives as situations where we will find understanding and depth often. Situations that actually encourage us and invite us to find new resources within ourselves, new depth of, of balance and steadiness to be able to embrace the painful. Because I think when we fall off balance, when we become fearful, most often when we're faced with anything that is painful or difficult, our first response or our first reaction is, how can I get away from this? How can I avoid this? How can I get out of it? And sometimes finding those, those mechanisms of avoidance, you know, when we can't do it outwardly, finding mechanisms of avoidance in often much more subtle ways, in fantasies, in daydreams, in distractedness, in all the countless ways we manage to try and convince ourselves that, you know, we're, we have some level of protection around us. One of the elements of, fear, of, of clear faith, 
I'm not talking about blind faith here. One of the elements of clear faith is that it encourages us to reach towards to be with and to understand that which we don't know, that which is unknown to us. Whereas fear has really leads us in an opposite direction, to find sanctuary or refuge in what, is, what we know, what is familiar to us. They, these qualities are very powerful qualities in our life. They can lead to openness, faith, or fear can lead to tremendous contractedness. Another quality, I think, of faith is patience. Patience. The undemanding mind. The mind that actually has an element of deep, deep trust and confidence in a process, actually, which may not have very many signposts or marks or familiarity. It doesn't ask for resolution. It's actually, I think, one of the effects of fear upon us is it makes us very impatient. I don't know if you've noticed when you're anxious or when you're fearful, how often that is accompanied by a kind of inclination of mind, a kind of impatience that wants ending wants things to be over, wants things to finish, wants conclusions, wants certainty. Because of that patience that is part of faith, it is also a place of tremendous calm and ease, a refuge for us, a refuge for us in, in the midst of many of the storms that our life brings to us. As we see, when we are anxious or fearful, we often actually feel that there isn't a refuge anywhere, that we can't be at home in ourselves, that we're not at home in the world, where we're anything but calm, instead where we feel either threatened or a victim. And I think in a retreat, we have a kind of microcosmic view of our encounter with these qualities of fear and faith. They don't always seem to be easy companions. In fact, they often feel to be very polarized. Often there's a feeling that we have to, you know, get rid of fear before we actually discover any level of faith. And sometimes there is a temptation to treat fear or to treat anxiety as a kind of enemy to get over. But we are not, in this practice, actually trying to get rid of anything at all, which is an interesting and probably very different perspective than one that is held in much of our culture. We're not here to get rid of anything at all. In fact, it is often through fear and through befriending fear that we discover the power of faith. And fear comes in many, many different disguises. It comes sometimes wearing the guise of doubt, of anxiety, of aversion, of greed, of resistance. Are often places all different manifestations of fear. 
It is within those experiences, actually, that we learn in this practice to rest with a quality of grace and calmness. Not after they finish, but that we actually learn to befriend these various movements, these various emotional extremes that we can carry with us in our lives, that we can learn to befriend them. And in the midst of them, find a place of tremendous balance and ease and grace. Often it's in those moments when it feels the most difficult is the place actually where we start to open to this quality of faith. And Thomas Merton once said, the true love and prayer are learned in the hour when love becomes impossible and the heart has turned to stone. I think there are very different qualities of faith that we meet in our lives and in our practice. And I'd like to reflect upon these different qualities of faith because some qualities of faith are actually really, really helpful and an ally to us. And there are qualities of faith also, perhaps, that are not such an ally, but which may actually in some ways undermine our own capacity for freedom. Now, one quality of faith, I think, is a kind of fragile faith. It comes in meditation. It comes also in our lives. It's a quality of faith that is often really mixed up with fear. And it's often a quality of faith, I think, that is born of really desperately wanting something that is stable and trustworthy and reliable in our lives. I mean, I'm sure we all want this. We would all love to find someone, something that is reliable and trustworthy and stable in our lives. But when we want this very desperately, it can become a very distorted kind of faith. You know, we may want to have, find ourselves really wanting to have faith in a spiritual teacher or a person that we're in relationship with. We may want to find or find ourselves desperately wanting to have faith in some sort of system of meditation or philosophy or, or belief. And this faith that is born of, of a feeling of being disconnected inwardly, a feeling of being lost and adrift and so looking outwardly for something to have faith in can actually be a quality of faith that I think can deprive us of freedom. Sometimes a freedom that we may even feel willing to surrender because the living in fear and uncertainty may actually feel to be so intolerable to us. It is when this faith this kind of faith is mixed with fear. Those are the times in our lives, not only spiritually, but elsewhere in our lives, that we form relationships of possessiveness and dependency. It's a faith of clinging and holding, often based on a fear of being alone. It's, a, it's that quality of faith that leads to the destructive uh, teacher-student relationships, you know, that are so much talked about. And it's a, it's a kind of faith that's based on insecurity. Actually, sometimes, you know, and I, I don't want to entirely dismiss that kind of faith because I think for some of us it's almost a phase we have to go through in our lives. 
that we almost have to go through this phase of kind of searching the world around us, outside of ourselves, to to have something, to have find something to have faith in, before we actually really learn to pause and stop, and really perhaps look at the way in which fear can move us in our lives, or insecurity can move us. You know, you see often people in, in the spiritual life, you know, who can hold so strongly to different belief systems, to the right way, the only way, and all that business that goes on. And actually, some of us need to, to travel that way for a little while before we need to learn the lessons that we need to learn. I know when I first started practicing in meditation, I, I entered this path as someone, you know, with an extraordinary level of confusion and um, imbalance. And so, of course, the moment that I found a path that looked great, you know, I was in there. And, you know, it, it just happened, it didn't have anything to do, it just happened to be the Tibetan tradition that I started in. So I ended up, I was more Tibetan than any Tibetan. You know, I mean, I dressed in Tibetan clothes, I ate Tibetan food, you know, I learned Tibetan, I spent my whole life kind of chanting mantras on my mala, you know, I mean, and, and pretty self-righteous about it, you know, that, oh yeah, I'd really found the way, you know, until actually going through some sort of crisis of, of, of doubt with that tradition, and switching to another tradition, and going through the same phenomena again, you know, that suddenly I discovered a new way that was even better than the old way. And really having to do that a couple of times before actually being able to stop and say, you know, is that really what the Dharma is all about? Is that really what meditation or spiritual path is all about? And really seeing the way that I was sort of transferring my own anxieties or my own imbalances, uh, trying to kind of almost externalize them and find something that I felt to be lacking in myself outwardly. But they are important lessons to learn, to see the way whenever we are imbalanced or wherever we feel perhaps not so confident in ourselves, how we really want to take hold of almost anything at all we'll do. It can be the, ro- the role in our life of our job. It can be a, the role in our life in our relationship. It can be you know, a degree we've gained in university. It can be a credential. It can even be perhaps a neurosis. But that desire to take hold of almost anything and to say, this is who I am. You know, to define ourselves by it, to kind of place ourselves to that holding in some place of stability. It's true that most spiritual paths do ask for a very, very specific quality of surrender, but I think insecure faith ask for a surrender which actually undermines us. It asks for a surrender of inner authority, of autonomy, of clarity, and of freedom. There's another quality of faith that in this tradition is called a validated faith, or a, a bright faith. And it's a faith that is really built upon our own experience. Um, it, it again is a quality of faith that comes up many times in our lives. I mean, suppose you have a friend or a partner who has actually been incredibly steadfast for you and reliable and accepting and supportive 
through many changes in your life, we have faith in them as a friend. You know, suppose you have been in a relationship with a Dharma teacher and you've found that that person really gives very freely, really cherishes your well-being above all else, is clear and is balanced. You may find that you have faith in them. It may be faith in a practice. You know, you may do this practice. And although if you knew on retreat, you know, this may just sound like fantasy land to you. You may do this practice and actually find that, yes, it really does become a source of tremendous peace, of clarity, of well-being, of patience, of understanding that carries through into the whole of your life. And you have faith in the practice. You see, it works for you. It is reliable. It is trustworthy. This is the kind of faith that we call validated faith, built upon what is seen, what is visible, what can be known to us. There's also a quality of faith that sometimes arises in times of fear. Sometimes arises, you know, it, you know, it's like that saying, there's no atheist in a foxhole. That kind of faith that's almost like hope that arises in times of tremendous crisis, you know, tremendous pain or difficulty in our lives. Suddenly we really want something to rely on. We really need something. We really need some kind of lifeline. And it is a kind of hopeful faith, temporary. It's there in the midst of the crisis. When the crisis is over, we return to being a, a you know, a, a non-believer. And there's a, a wonderful story I'd like to read you about this kind of faith. There was an atheist who fell off a cliff, and as he tumbled downward, he caught hold of a small tree, and there he hung with rocks a thousand feet below knowing he wasn't able to hold on much longer. Then I'd, an idea came. God, he shouted with all his might. Silence. No one responded. God, he shouted again. If you exist, save me, and I promise I shall believe in you and teach others to believe. Silence again. Then he almost let go in shock as he heard a mighty voice boom across the canyon. That's what they all say when they're in trouble. No, God, no, he shouted out, more hopeful now. I'm not like the others. I've already begun to believe, having heard your voice. Now all you have to do is save me, and I shall proclaim your name to the ends of the earth. Very well, said the voice. I shall save you. Let go of the branch. Let go of the branch, yelled the distraught man. Do you think I'm crazy? Many qualities or many varieties of faith in our lives are actually an attempt, I think, to move away from the fearful. To move away sometimes from ourselves. But there is another quality of faith which actually makes no attempt to move away from fear. It's a quality of faith that actually teaches us to embrace fear in its many different forms. In Pali, the word for faith is sata. And there isn't actually an English word which is exactly the same as this word. Because sada has many dimensions. It describes trap 
and clarity and confidence and devotion and love. So it's a quality of faith that has many, many different facets that calls both upon wisdom and upon the power of the heart of love. And this quality of sada is actually pretty central in most meditative traditions. In the Buddhist tradition, it is called one of the greatest treasures. And it's not contrary to doubt. It's not, an, it's not a quality of faith that says, you know, you should never doubt. In fact, this quality of sada almost encourages doubt. It encourages us to question, it encourages us to investigate, it encourages to keep checking out what we hear in our own experience. It also encourages us at the same time to resist drawing conclusions, to hold those questions in investigation with a tremendous sense of openness. The reason that it encourages doubt is because doubt actually wakes us up and teaches us to ask important questions. You know, today in this first day of a retreat, you may find yourself asking, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Well, these are wonderful questions. You know, these are really important questions to ask. If we ask them wisely, they lead us not to kind of endless sort of emotional reactiveness or aversion or I don't like or expectations. But if, they, if we ask those questions wisely, what am I doing here, why am I doing this, which are surely questions which, which everybody in meditation should be asking, if we ask them wisely, then they really need us to really search our hearts for our own intentions, to really look at what it is that we value in our lives, to look at, it, at what it is that we honor, what it is that we really seek to nourish and to cultivate in our lives. These are incredibly important questions, if asked with wisdom. So this quality of, of sada, of faith, really encourages that kind of question, knowing that only that which we discover to be true in our experience, that we can apply to our own lives, that actually really leads to wisdom and to compassion, that is only that which is liberating. And everything else we need to know how to be able to let go of. This kind of faith is called an unshakable pillar of deepening of depth in meditation. Try to look at what qualities of faith it is that actually sustains us in our practice and our lives. Clearly, it's not only the faith in what we see or, or what is visible to us. Because sometimes, you know, even though you may have moments in meditation that are great and fantastic and blissful, you're going to have a lot of moments which are really difficult and confusing and feel very shadowy. So it is not only validated faith, you know, that, that we suddenly see this is good for us in our own experience. It sustains us in this practice. There's another quality of faith, and I think this is really at the heart of sada, which allows us to rest with ease and gladness in the unknown, in not knowing. And to me, this is the greatest challenge in meditation and the greatest challenge in our lives, 
is to be able to rest within an inner and outer process that is unfolding, that doesn't necessarily carry with it any signs or marks or familiarity. You know, it's like the difference, you know, of driving out of here and maybe, you know, taking a road that has a signpost every hundred yards. You know, maybe we're going to Exeter and we take a road that has a signpost every hundred yards, you know, and says, you know, you're this much closer, you're that much closer to Exeter, you're, you know, you've gone this far, you have this much further to go. It's the difference between that, traveling that way, and being able to take a road out of here that maybe says that's the way to Exeter and then there's no more signpost. That quality of not knowing and yet being able to stay within a process that feels vital, dynamic, and alive and doesn't necessarily have those signposts. To rest in those places with openness and stillness and yet with a tremendous confidence. This quality of faith is really what sustains us in some of the darkest and most uncertain places, both in our meditative journey and in our lives. Now, if you think about when we come to retreat, I don't know about you, but I know it certainly never started meditation because I felt that my life and everything in it was totally delightful and free and liberated and enlightened and fulfilling. That wasn't what brought me to meditation. Most of us, I think, begin meditation in two ways. One is a kind of, uh, perhaps, a sense of discontent, uh, lack of fulfillment, something missing in our lives. And I think the other part that draws us to meditation is a sense of intuition, of possibility, that it's possible for us to find within ourselves you know, real depths of wisdom and compassion of peace, that it's possible to find within ourselves an end to conflict and to fear and to separation. That voice of possibility, that voice of intuition that yearns for freedom, for, for depth, for wisdom, that is actually our voice of faith. Because we don't know, we have no proof that this is going to happen. Yet there's this intuition of possibility and that is our voice of faith. Part of that faith is actually also having faith in ourselves. The confidence in ourselves. That this possibility that is often so frequently spoken of in the spiritual path is actually our inner possibility. That it's possible for us to awaken. Now this is not reserved for kind of um, you know, a special elite class of mystics. But there is possible for each one of us to find depths of compassion, of openness and understanding. It's a powerful voice, a very necessary voice. Now, this voice of faith, both in, both in our own possibilities and in the reality of peace, the reality of understanding, is actually what allows us to stay in a place of unknown. Now, as everything that we actually do in meditation, whether aware of it or not, we make that journey from what we know to what we don't know. 
I mean, when you began this retreat, you actually could not guarantee, no one could guarantee for you how it's going to unfold, what it's going to be like for you tomorrow, what it's going to be like for you in the next moment. You don't know whether it's going to be good news or whether it's going to be bad news. When you come and sit and retreat, you don't know what manner of demons or angels you're going to encounter within yourself. You know whether there's going to be the arising of of fear and anxiety and aversion and resistance, or whether you're going to hang out here for seven days, you know, in states of blissful calm. You don't actually know when you begin. And we are often deprived of the great servant of fear, which is signpost, which is signpost. I mean, sometimes people feel a lot of discomfort with that in this path of meditation, you know, that there's this absence of signpost. I mean, I think in some ways it would be really reassuring, you know, if we, if we put on the schedule or on the notice board every morning that what our objective is for the day and how you know whether you got it. You know, if we put on the notice board in the morning, well, our objective for the day is, you know, maybe to uh, be able to use metta for four uninterrupted minutes, or to be with three breaths in a row without wandering, you know, or to take ten steps without getting distracted. You know, because then if we had those objectives sort of really clearly outlined, you know, there would be some way to measure ourselves, wouldn't there? We could go to bed at night and think, I did it. I got there, you know, I actually did it. Instead, we go to bed at night and we say, you know, we have no idea where we are. You know, am I further forward? Am I worse than I was yesterday? You know, have I got anywhere? Am I a failure? And one of the bigger difficulties is, of course, nobody will ever say here that you're, you know, you're really successful at this stuff. You know, you were cut out to be a meditator. And also no one will ever say, whoever teaches here, that you're a failure. You know, that you ought to pack your bags and go home because it's clear that, you know, you're definitely a most unmystical person, you know, and you should do something else with your life. So often we don't have this sort of security around us of good, bad, better, worse, progress, regression. And that puts us in an interesting place. You know, because it's almost like we have, we have nothing really to take hold of. So we need to know how to rest in not knowing. We need to know how to rest peacefully, gladly, and willingly in not knowing. Because the truth is, we don't know. The truth is, we don't know. You know, sometimes we, you know, we, we think we're actually having a tremendous meditation. You know, everything seems to be going well. You know, there's, you know, maybe our concentration's really good and we feel really present. And you know, that can be, that sitting that we're so tempted to label as being terrific and delightful, well, that may be a sitting actually where we're most reinforcing the kind of I notion with clinging. You know, look how terrific I'm doing. You know, that next sitting that actually can feel so terrible and so disastrous, you know, that may actually be the sitting where we're learning some of the deepest lessons in our lives about acceptance, about generosity, about patience, and the willingness to stay with. So you can't evaluate by good and by bad, or by pleasant and unpleasant sensations. We never can in this path. 
I know in my own practice, time, some of the times that actually felt to be the most difficult periods of my practice were the times actually, when I look at them, reflect on them, were actually some of the most rich times. You know, some of the times I think of, you know, when there were really neat experiences, you know, really, you know, highs and bliss, I think, you know, they were, they were far out, you know, everybody should have a few. You know, not trying to, you know, say this is a bad thing to do. And yet, at the same time, you know, sometimes there, there can arise in that, you know, a certain sense of complacency, sense of arrival. When we have little to rely upon, when there are so very few signposts, it is faith and trust that allows us to stay open and present. Appreciate the wisdom of not knowing, and what a gift that is. When I come and teach retreats, I am often really awed by the level of faith that people have. You know, most people maybe not think of themselves as people who have much faith or confidence at all. And you know, I'm always awed by the quality of, of strength and commitment that people bring to meditation. I mean, when you think about it, you know, all that we do is actually stick a schedule on the board. You know, I mean, nobody comes and drags you out of your room here. You know, we don't have monitors at the door, you know, taking registration. You know, in fact, my eyesight is so bad, I can't even see the back of the room very well. So if you never came, I'd never even know if you were here or not. So, you know, we are, what actually brings us here? Because, you know, I talk to people and I see, you know, sometimes they're going through very difficult times, very challenging experiences, and they keep showing up. Now, to me, this is a remarkable thing. I mean, I, I do it too. It's a remarkable thing. Because I think really what really draws us to that consistency and that commitment is that quality of faith that we have in ourselves. That trust that we have in our own capacity to open and deepen even in the midst of the challenging and the difficult, even when we know that there are easier avenues that we could follow. You know, everybody knows there are easier ways. You know, we could go to bed, we could go to sleep, you know, we could, you know, go find a chocolate bar or read a book or something. And yet often very naturally, very spontaneously in this environment, we find ourselves somehow stepping out of that whole realm of avoidance to a different extent in different times. That avoidance actually doesn't look so attractive to us anymore. Because sometimes, somehow we have a sense that in those moments of avoidance, we are actually almost exiling ourselves from our own being. That we're almost banishing ourselves from our own being. So avoidance starts to look like less of an attractive option. So we return again and again. Not just out of guilt, but out of, I think, I feel a confidence, a certain confidence, a certain quality of sadha that is there, a confidence in our own possibilities. Yet that very returning and that very faith that makes us return again and again to the present moment is also the quality that also really evokes fear and makes it very visible for us. We see, like, 
face brings us to sit on a cushion and fear makes us want to jump off. Now, in many ways, every time we sit and every time we walk and every time we come closer to ourselves and come closer to the present moment, those very actions that we engage in here, they are almost an invitation for fear to show up. And fear makes wears many different faces in our lives. You know, sometimes you sit on retreat and it seems that there are so many different mind states and so many different emotions and so many different feelings. There's aversion and greed and anger and resistance and struggle and jealousy. And yet within that variety of feelings, there's often a very central theme of fear. You know, if we think of what aversion is, aversion of the unpleasant, the fear often of feeling threatened. If we think about what greed is, how often it's based upon a fear of not having enough. If we think about what resistance is, how often it is a fear of being overwhelmed. If we think of negativity and anger, how often it's fear of being out of control of being threatened or challenged in some way. And when that fear is present, it's also true that we see how those are the moments when our sense of self, the I notion, appears most strongly. I don't want, I don't like, you know, I want to get rid of. That, how that arises so strongly in those moments. And yet those moments where we are in the midst of those feelings, also a place where there's a potential the invitation for tremendous opening as we learn to let be, as we learn to be with, rather than being pushed and swayed by these very conditioned, very habitual reactions that are rooted in fear. If we think of the effect of fear on us, you know, you may even have seen it to some extent today, how fear actually leads the mind to be very busy, leads us to be very agitated. Because when we're fearful, we want to fix it. You know, we want to make it perfect. We want to get back in control. We want to find the prescription. We want to find the solution. We want to find the cause. So fear actually makes us very jumpy, very uneasy. And yet also, we, as we begin actually to sense, sometimes where those movements of jumpiness and busyness come from, we also learn actually to surround those feelings of fear with a tremendous calmness. A tremendous calmness is based upon trust. Allowing things to be. Trusting and the capacity and the depth of our own heart and mind to embrace them and to be with. This is a huge step in meditation, to step out of the busyness, the control, the aversion, the resistances, the struggles, and to come to that place of calmness. But it is a step actually that's based on wisdom. The wisdom not only that arises in meditation, but the wisdom that actually has already arisen through our lives. 
Because, you know, many times in our lives we've seen we've engaged in so many strategies, you know, to make ourselves perfect, to make our world perfect, to make other people perfect, to protect ourselves from the difficult, to protect ourselves from the unpleasant, to feel safe through, through armoring ourselves or through avoidance. And most of us have actually already learned this. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't. It simply doesn't work. In fact, sometimes engaging in those strategies actually makes us more and more fearful, more and more uh, disconnected. So we learn those lessons, and through learning those lessons, actually, we are willing to open to a different possibility. Instead of being so driven by fear, what does it mean to be with fear? What does it mean to befriend fear? What does it mean actually to learn to be present? It's okay to feel fear. It's okay. You know, mostly after one of the reasons we jump away from it is because we actually we feel that we can't. But we can. We can be with fear. It's interesting that one of the effects of meditation is that it often does disturb us. You know, it disturbs our conclusions about ourselves, it disturbs our perceptions about ourselves. And that's fine, that's the point of meditation. It's not to provide just some, you know, artificial security, but to really understand what is true. So sometimes we are disturbed. But we learn to find a place of openness to that, of calmness, of the willingness to be with. Part of being disturbed is that things sort of seem to fall away. You know, some of the certainties that we've had about ourselves, about the world, some may seem to fall away a little bit. That point of dissolving actually can become very, very deep in meditation, where it seems like there's really nothing or nowhere to hold on to or to cling to. It's a big place of letting go. And what sustains us is a tremendous sense of faith in our own being and in the universe. It allows us to make huge jumps. There's a wonderful Nazarene story. Nasuddin's house was on fire, so he ran up to his roof for safety. And there he was, precariously perched on the roof, with his friends gathered in the street below, holding a stretched-out blanket for him, and shouting, Jump, Mullah, jump! Oh, no, I won't, said Nasuddin. I know you fellows. If I jump, you'll pull the blanket away just to make a fool of me. Don't be silly, Mullah. This isn't a joke, it's a serious jump. No, said Nazardine. I don't trust any of you. Lay that blanket on the ground and I'll jump. <laughs> well, that's what we do in meditation. We actually learn to make that jump. We learn to trust in not knowing and to trust in ourselves and to really find the power of Sada, the power of faith, the way that it opens us connects us and allows us really to deepen an understanding. If we have a couple of minutes quietly together.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.